Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Setting the Scene. My name is Michael, and I'm the host of the podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Cancino on the 34th overall episode and our ninth episode in the series that we've had a lot of guests in dual degrees in medicine. We are here today to discuss a topic we haven't touched on much within the series, which is the MD-MBA route. Dr. Cancino himself has been through that route. We're going to hear his journey, what he does in practice, his current roles and all, and maybe some takeaways that you can have at the very end. Before we get started, would you like to give yourself a quick introduction? Yeah, sure. So my name is uh, Dr. Ramon Cancino. I'm a family medicine physician. My current role is uh, director of the primary care center at UT Health San Antonio. In that role, I oversee seven primary care locations. This uh, includes family medicine physicians, general internal medicine physicians, geriatricians, sports medicine physicians, clinical psychologists, and pharmacists as well. Um, I also help oversee our value-based care strategy as senior medical director of medical management. This means that I help oversee community health workers, nurse care managers, uh, and a team working on taking care of our most frail, uh, at-risk patients in our community here in San Antonio. And thank you for having me today, Michael. It's, it's a real honor to be able to speak to you and, and to your audience. Yeah, of course. We're happy to have you on, Dr. Cancino. There's a lot of enthusiasts for the MBA field, and I'm glad we could have you on to share your experience. There's a lot of leadership, definitely, that we're going to get into. But before that, I wanted to talk about your specialty being primary care. Did you always know that you wanted to go for primary care? Was that always in your mind? Uh, I, I think I came to it you know, part in terms of my upbringing as well as mentorship. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally, um, an only child, actually. Ended up doing my undergrad at St. Louis University, uh, did a year of research at Washington University of St. Louis, and then ended up going to medical school back in Ohio at Northeastern uh, Medical University. And Honestly, I entered medical school not necessarily knowing what uh, specialty I wanted to go into. Over the four years of medical school, I came to know uh, folks who would become my mentors. And it just so happened that my mentors during that time were primary care physicians, either internal medicine physicians or family medicine physicians. Um, this was solidified really in my third and fourth year rotations when during those rotations, I found myself both liking a little bit of everything. You know, I'd be on my surgical rotation and, and found myself very excited about uh, helping uh, manage patients in the hospital and post-op. I'd be on my OB-GYN rotation, very interested in helping delivering babies uh, and counseling in the office. And in my pediatrics rotation, helping take care of kids both in and out of the hospital. You know, at the same time, though, those mentors, those mentorship relationships that I was developing during that time um, started to see this in me, started to see that, you know, I sort of liked a little bit of everything. And um, in terms of my personality, I really like to get to know patients, but then also I was very detail oriented. So my mentors and I sort of worked on what it would look like for me to go into primary care. 
At the same time, my father was actually very sick with diabetes and all of its sequela uh, during my medical school career. And I saw how, you know, he had doctors that really he saw often, including his primary care physician. And that really imprinted on me in terms of the impact a primary care physician can have on, you know, both one patient, but then also a disease, a disease process. And I think put that all together, my mentors, my experience during my third and fourth year rotations, as well as my father's experience in terms of getting to, getting to know a primary care physician he, he trusted, um, it just ultimately became a natural fit. And then the last point really is that um, I had a, a family member, my uncle had a primary care practice in Florida. And although that wasn't ultimately my path, um, my intent was to take over his primary care practice at the completion of residency. Um, so that's sort of the background in terms of the, the decision. Very happy with my choice, uh, mainly because I, I really do, uh, I, I'm in clinic two, two days a week, and I really do love taking care of my, my families of patients. And as a family medicine physician, I'm able to take care of really patients of any age. So I have pediatric patients, uh, you know, all the way up through uh, patients over the age of 65. All right. Well, that sounds great. I'd like to hear the, the stories behind that. It's always helpful to have a backdrop behind the dual degree route, right? Whether they're involved in research, MBA, um, whatever that might be. But now shifting towards your MBA, how did you stumble upon that route as the one that you wanted to pursue? Was it always some, also something through your mentors and other sources of direction? No, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, a couple of things. I think I've always been interested in data. In fact, um, after medical school, I ended up doing a, my family medicine residency at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. And during that time, a lot of my interest was on hospital readmissions. In fact, I did several projects related to hospital readmissions as a resident. Um, you know, towards the end of residency, I felt like I wanted to learn a little bit more. And ultimately, again, with, with some input from my mentors and colleagues, ended up doing an academic medicine fellowship at Boston University School of Medicine. And during that fellowship, really got to dig into the details in terms of how do you measure quality? How do you do quality improvement from an implementation science standpoint? And then, you know, how do you do research, both, both quantitative and qualitative, qualitative research in the field of health services research, which is um, what I got my master's in science in. And during that development period for me, I was always interested in the numbers, always interested in trying to figure out why health outcomes were the way they were. And then also why clinicians and hospital systems were acting in one way or another. After fellowship, I had the opportunity to take the job of chief medical officer of a federally qualified health center. And the role of chief medical officer um, really is the role of a physician in a healthcare organization that helps to oversee and lead the clinicians 
in a healthcare organization. So at my federally qualified health center, I, I led a group of clinicians that uh, were uh, family medicine physicians, internal medicine physicians, OB-GYNs, as well as nurse practitioners, physician assistants, as well as multiple community health workers. And at the same time, different than when I was a fellowship and in residency, I came to find the importance of the finances of healthcare as it relates to the sustainability of healthcare models, as well as our ability as a healthcare organization to provide services to our patients that those patients really need. And working very directly with our CEO and our chief financial officer of the Federally Qualified Health Center, we were able to develop models of care that were both uh, needed by our community, but then also sustainable. So fast forward to my role now as uh, director of the primary care center here at UT Health San Antonio, I found myself, uh, number one, much more interested in the finances of the work that I was doing, both in terms of the impact our work was having on the finances of our patients, but then also on the revenue and cost of delivering healthcare at scale to a large patient population here in Texas. And so I quickly realized that, you know, and honestly, I think I was always interested that I really needed some formal training in terms of how do I do this well? And in my role where I have authority and responsibility of the finances as well as the clinical care uh, delivered by our, our team here, and it's a team of about 60 clinicians with 150 staff, I really wanted to make sure I was doing that well. So I had the opportunity to get my executive MBA here. And I think it was one of the best decisions I've ever made um, and really helped take my interest to, you know, uh, a level that I was able to impact and help a lot of patients as a result of that education. We hear health outcomes is sort of a theme to people pursuing, in this case, your MBA, in other cases with other guests, their MPHs, and sometimes even their Masters of Science. Where do you draw the line between the difference of impact that an MD-MBA can draw from their career versus an MD-MPH or another dual degree? Yeah, I think ultimately impact is connected to a few things. Number one is the execution, right? It's one thing to take time, get an MBA or get an MPH or, or get some other D degree like a PhD and how do you convert that in your current role or future roles into work that creates great outcomes for organizations or patients? Um, so the execution and uh, application of that knowledge, I, I think, is, is key. The second thing I would say, you know, uh, MBA versus an MPH or some other master's or some other degree is really, it depends on the setting, right? So in some roles, an MBA might actually not be that helpful because the knowledge gained over the course of one or two years to, to garner that MBA 
isn't able to be applied because it doesn't overlap with the current role you're in. Similarly, you know, perhaps getting an MPH in some organizations or, or you know, in some roles may not necessarily be quite applicable um, to the role you're currently in. So, you know, the third point I would make in terms of that is, um, as, as you can see, I, I sort of waited several years before getting my MBA. So the timing also has to be correct to be able to make a great impact in it. I think um, because of my current role where I, where, I, where I do oversee the finances of our center and I have authority and responsibility over those finances, the information I gained from my MBA was almost immediately applicable. I was able to go home from class and think through, okay, how does this content, how did this knowledge that I just gained, how do I apply it tomorrow? How do I apply it over the next quarter? And how will I know if you know my application of that knowledge made a difference? So you know, I, I think it depends on the setting. At the same time, I would also say that uh, the impact could be equal, right? Depending on the setting where someone in my same role could take the knowledge from an MPH and perhaps even have better or the same impact. Um, so it just depends on the timing, the environment and the setting. And backtracking a bit to the timeline of your education, did you find it now having hindsight most beneficial to take your MBA at the time that you took it? Oh yeah, great, really great question. You know, I think so. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. You know, right now, as I was just saying, um, because I'm currently in a leadership position where I'm able to apply what I've learned in my MBA classes, um, you know, the knowledge I was gaining in those classes wasn't just theoretical, it was actually, it was actionable. And so I was really able to take what I've learned and apply them and show um, what happens in the real world in my job. I think the second thing is, you know, again, this kind of goes back to the timing is that, you know, as a medical student, as a resident, and, you know, as a junior faculty member, I probably didn't have the correct context to be able to go into these different MBA courses, uh, you know, like uh, financial theory, uh, healthcare economics, um, with the right perspective where I could really ask the questions that really needed to be asked to be um, effective in my job. And I think having perfect, not perfected, but having sort of gone through this, this challenge of, you know, how do I be a good primary care physician? How do I become a good teacher for residents or medical students? How do I, you know, what is my style as a primary care physician first? And being able to tackle those challenges first really allowed me the opportunity to go into my MBA classes again, and really focus on the knowledge that was being taught so that I could apply those in my role. A third thing I would say about sort of waiting to get my MBA is, and you know, it's gonna be different from everyone too, is it's also sometimes a timing thing. You know, many folks 
uh, in residency or first year uh, in medical school. Maybe they're uh, starting families. Maybe they're sort of not in a place uh, socially or financially to be able to support all of that activity all at one time. And so I was really able to focus on my medical studies, you know, in medical school, my sort of training and application of those, those studies in residency. And then after residency, really find my own self as a primary care physician um, before heading into my, into my MA, MBA course. And looking at the utility of an MBA, I wanted to ask, being in your current role now, how much of a leg up is it to have an MBA? Could someone, let's say just a regular MD or DO physician, um, work their way up to a leadership position like yours without the need of an MBA? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because classically that's kind of how it's done, right? Um, in many organizations, as well as many you know, academic programs, folks who are good at being physicians and, you know, and who stick around long enough ultimately find themselves uh, taking on more and more responsibility. Um, and sometimes that responsibility becomes financial, sometimes it's clinical, sometimes it's operational. And people, you know, five or 10 years down the line find themselves in leadership positions where, uh, where they you know, that didn't necessarily get formal training how to be those, those kinds of leaders. In fact, a number of my mentors, you know, have authority and responsibility over sort of large swaths of people and large budgets, and they themselves never got an MBA. So that definitely does happen. I think for me, I really wanted to, when I found myself in those types of positions, wanted to really understand you know, those aspects of the job that, um, you know, my mentors and other folks perhaps are learning on the job. I wanted to go into those roles having, having that knowledge already. And in terms of how I learn, I, I really like to learn things in an organized manner, right? And certainly we can go and take different types of classes on healthcare finances or, uh, or different business classes um, but I really wanted to go into a program that, you know, filtered out all the noise, really focused on the, the great information that we actually need to know, and then have that information delivered to me in an organized fashion um, so that I could, uh, first of all, understand it and remember it. And then secondly, get some guidance in terms of how do I implement what I just learned. And so most good MBA programs have not only advisors and professors who you can go to and ask questions of, uh, bring real world problems to, and then they can help you problem solve um, around those problems. But many MBA programs also have courses on, formal courses and training on leadership and development. And my MBA program actually assigned to me an executive coach during the program. And I had regular meetings with this coach. We did a lot of um, self-reflection on my leadership style um, as well as my management style. And then I was able to get feedback on problem solving different uh, problems with my role, either actual or theoretical. 
as well as you know, on-the-fly guidance on how do you tackle large projects, do project management, um, how do you think through these types of uh, questions that come up in very complex organizations. Um, so yeah, so to, to answer your question, having had all of that upfront, heading into leadership roles or actually in a leadership role, I feel that gives me a leg up number one at the organization right because my organization knows that i got this training so it automatically sets me apart from people in similar similar roles within the organization who opted not to get this type of training so as new projects or new opportunities come up my name is likely to rise to the top of that list as someone who not only might be interested but also might be successful in future leadership roles or to, to run certain projects and things like that. Then I think, you know, as you look at your, your future and your development and you're putting together your CV and you're looking for different jobs, you know, having MBA training on your CV compared to someone who doesn't, when someone you know, doesn't know you apart from what's on your CV, it really does set you apart, especially in those leadership roles from folks who have not had that training. And then I th think the third thing is really this, this idea of sort of building your network and you know, building your the people you can go to for advice. So it's really nice to have a network of other MD MBAs um, who've gone through this similar program as I have here in San Antonio, because we, you know, we go to each other for uh, advice. Um, to bounce ideas off of each other. And then we often go back to our professors um, to ask for advice too. So it's a really neat network to be part of that folks that haven't been through a program like this would not have uh, accessible to them. You talked a lot about the application to an MBA in academic medicine, but I was also curious to ask, what's the application in private practice from what you've seen? Oh yeah, that's a that's a great question. Yeah, so um, you know, private practice is a little different than academic medicine. Whereas in academic medicine, oftentimes, you know, your salary is not necessarily tied to you know whether or not the organization um, um, is making money. Secondly, in a large academic environment, you're often shielded financially. Um, from all of the ebbs and flows of the environment on the outside. You know, take COVID-19, for example, when a lot of small outpatient primary care practices weren't seeing as many patients during the week because patients were in 2020 uh, hesitant to go to doctor's offices or maybe a physician was actually sick and couldn't see patients that day. You know, large academic medical centers are often have some shield around some of this, not perfectly, but certainly some protection as an individual physician. Private practices, you know, especially the small ones, don't have that sort of protection. So, you know, the money that is often generated from private practices is only connected to ancillary services and the delivery of healthcare. Meaning if the private practice isn't busy seeing patients, that private practice um, may not you know, make it through to the end of the year, which makes um, running a private practice 
running that business well that much more important. So I would think that having an MBA, which gives you an understanding of healthcare finances, healthcare economics, marketing, how to be a leader, how to do clinical operations, those sorts of things, would set up the owner or uh, partner of a private practice to be very successful, or at least more successful than someone who heads into trying to navigate uh, questions related to those topics, you know, uh, blindly or without formal training in it. Now, to be sure, um, you know, private practices have gotten away, can be very successful without having people uh, without having physicians who have gotten MBAs to run them. In fact, that's why many private practices uh, have physicians paired up with people who have gotten an MBA, but not necessarily who are physicians. So practice managers or uh, uh, leaders of private practices often have an MBA, you know, but they're not physicians. So being a physician with an MBA not only puts you on par with those people that ultimately you may have hired, um, but it also lets you speak the language of the other business people that you may hire into your private practice. And that's good too, right? Because you never want to put yourself in a position where you own a business, but there's someone in your business that knows way more than you in, in, in part of your in, in a part of your business than you do. And I think having an MBA as a physician allows you to run your business even better. Absolutely. Speaking of being a leader, I wanted to ask, within this type of role, do you see a spectrum of personalities or are there certain characteristics and personality traits that just best suit a person? who would like to dive into a role like this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, one thing about my MBA, which was an executive MBA program, is that many of the folks in my program were uh, department chairs who were physicians, but then we also had lots of directors and senior directors in other field, not just the healthcare field in our classes. And one thing you realize very quickly about the types of folks who are at this stage of their career, um, who decide to take time out of their lives to get this education, is that they're, they're the type of folks who never wanted to stop learning, right? I think that they see, we see ourselves as always constantly learning. There's always some improvement to do. I think Carol, Dr. Carol Dweck calls this the, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, right? Where you always see yourself as developing and you never see yourself at a point where you've fully developed. So that's number one, is that many people who get an MBA, especially the type of program that I was in, um, viewed themselves as always in a stage of improvement and development, which is a good thing. And honestly, the, you know, the type of people you want to lead organizations one day. Um, the other thing I would say is, personally speaking, and I think I mentioned this early on, I've always been interested in 
what motivates people and how that motivation turns into outcomes. Um, you know, said another way, I, I've always been interested in, you know, the details behind the numbers that really are sort of in the background of healthcare. You know, as a, as a fellow at BU, I was thinking about readmission rates and uh, hospitalization rates, but, you know, said another way, I was also interested in uh, trying to decrease the avoidable costs of healthcare. And those type, that type of thinking, those healthcare economics to me had always been really important. And it was important for me to understand the context within which things like hospital readmissions or drug expenses was put on top of sort of the, the medical information that I was learning in medical school. Thirdly, I always think it's important, especially in a leadership role, to put myself in a situation where, you know, after an experience, I can become a, a great, a better leader. And MBA programs, meant, like I said, many of them have formal curriculum on leadership and management, uh, along with all of your very common MBA classes. And um, so many other, many folks that join an MBA programs not only want to become better at business, they also want to become better leaders. Absolutely. To those who are listening in, just maybe as an indicator, um, a sign that they should go on and pursue, or at least consider a career as an MD, MBA. You mentioned the growth mindset. That's something very attributable, attributable to people. Are there any other indicators that someone should reflect on, be introspective of, and consider when they're looking into a route like this? Yeah, uh, again, I think, you know, that requires some self-reflection. And especially in medical school and residency, um, you know, that self-reflection, I think, is really, really necessary. And, the, you know, a couple of questions to ask yourself in, in that self-reflection exercise is, number one, why did you get into medicine? Why do you want to become a physician? And then number two, where do you see yourself in 15 or 20 years? And, you know, another way to ask yourself of that question is, you know, who are your current physician role models and why are they your, your role models? Think about the personal and career goals that you will need to achieve to get to the level of those role models. And if you see that knowledge about healthcare finances or um, becoming a great, strong leader, leader and manager of people is going to be important to be able to achieve that goal, to become something like that role model or uh, you know, then I would say at that point, consider an MBA. The other thing to consider is the timing. You know, when do you get that MBA? Honestly, if you're in medical school now or thinking about medical school or in residency, and you know you're you're gonna really need to focus, you know, for six or ten months, either to keep your GPA up. Uh, or to manage the classes with family responsibilities too, it might not be a good time to get your MBA, right? You wanna really find that good 18 months or 24 months, however long an MBA program is, 
where you can really dig in deep on the topic and really absorb the information so that five or 10 years later, or, or you know, even one year later, you will have that information at your fingertips to be able to apply. It is quite possible, right, to go through an entire MBA program or any other master's program and find yourself with a degree, but not really an opportunity or an idea on how to apply that degree. You know, I would say try to avoid that situation uh, if possible, which again requires that sort of self-reflection of kind of where you are in your current life, as well as well as where you want to be in 15 or 20 years. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up today's episode right there. That was a perfect landing point. Again, thank you so much, Dr. Cancino, for joining us. This was very, very insightful. I personally gained out a lot from this as someone who is still open to the idea of kind of just what I can do with my career. Um, this was very, very helpful. I'm sure the same would be said of many other listeners listening in right now. And to those listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Setting the Scene. We publish on a bi-weekly schedule on Fridays. That's once every um, two weeks on Fridays. So be sure to look out for our next podcast episode. We have series like these. We're going to wrap up this series soon, but we do have many others about guest spotlights with undergraduate students, with medical students. Um, we have a new series called International Perspectives, where we have undergrad, medical students, residents, and even physicians joining us who have some background, whether it be from their college years, medical school, sometimes even residency, and now they're practicing or they're training in the U.S. It's a very interesting episode. So far, we have two podcasts published there, and we're going to be continuing on with that. So if it happens to interest you, feel free to browse through, check it out. But um, we look forward to having you there. And thank you again for tuning in.